Hello and welcome to the Astro Flight Simulation Podcast, where we navigate the digital world through art and culture. If you're hearing this message, it means you're listening for free on iTunes or Spotify, which I thank you for and invite you to do more of. However, I want to let you know that if you're left wanting more, there's a lot more content on my Substack page, which is astralflight.substack.com. You can access my Substack through my Twitter page, which is at AFSCast. That's at A-F-S-C-A-S-T. There's a link to my Substack in my bio and in my pinned tweet. On my Substack, you'll find a lot of long-form content, as well as podcast episodes that never make it to iTunes and Spotify. And if you choose the paid subscriber option, you'll have access to early release podcasts and podcast episodes that are not available anywhere else except for as a paid subscriber to my Substack. That's astroflight.substack.com. I hope you enjoy the show. The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places... There could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we'll discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a different, very different present life. The psychotic drones where the mystic swims. Hello and welcome back to the Astral Flight Simulation Podcast, where we navigate the digital world through art and culture. And today I'm joined by two kindred spirits, two guys who are doing the same type of thing I'm doing, navigating the digital world through art and culture. Uh, Mike and Dave, the hosts of the Culture Dads YouTube slash podcast. Dave, I've known you a little bit. Um, but I didn't even know you were doing that podcast and we were trying to hash out having you on the show and what we were going to talk about, what we were going to cover. And you were like, well, Hey, why don't, why don't you check out my podcast? And I did. And it was like instant, instant fucking jive. Like right away. I was like, these are my guys. These are my guys. Like, of course you're coming on my show. Excellent. Excellent. I guess I'll start then. Um, first of all, Astral, thank you so much for having us, man. This is this is uh, awesome time. I love the content that you're putting out. I love the work that you're putting out. And uh, this is a great podcast. So I'm excited to come on here. For folks that aren't familiar, I'm Big Dave Martell, former host of The Bog. Um, I'm all over the place with all kinds of stuff, but I'm editor in chief of the Bizarre Archives Weird Tales of Monsters, Magic and Machines, which is a uh, pulp uh, pulp compilation work. We are a, a small indie publisher that puts out weird fiction in the genres of sci-fi, fantasy, and cosmic horror. I'm the producer of an upcoming video game called Legends of Hyperborea. Um, and I am also one half of the team of Culture Dads, which is a podcast that me and Mike here do, where we do um, deep dives into retro pop culture for uh, folkish and dissident minds. Nice. Yeah. And I'm Mike. I'm the editor in chief of Imperium Press, uh, which is um, to sum it up kind of uh, pithily here. It's a based version of like Oxford University Press. That's the idea anyway. That's what we're aiming for, where we repackage and put out classic texts in the history of ideas, Western canon, um, you know, important cornerstones of aesthetics and literature. Uh, yeah, basically, we, we're reissuing sort of the, the history of ideas and framing it in ways that are salutary to, you know, guys in the nationalist scene, basically. 
Um, and it's we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how projects take a life take on a life of their own. This one definitely did that. It was originally supposed to be just for publishing classics, but we put out a few books by um, contemporary authors. And those have really kicked it into high gear and sort of taken it to the next level. We put out, um, I think we've put out five books so far by contemporary authors, and those have done very well. The latest one we've got by one of them is uh, The Populist Delusion, which is kind of ripping it up right now, actually. It's uh, basically, well, uh, the title kind of says everything about it. Um, and it's by a, a gentleman who is actually a, um, a, uh, a teacher of... Uh, literature at the university level. So we've got some some pretty big brain guys doing stuff with us and uh, it has really taken off. So anyway, yeah, that's Imperium Press. That's what we're about. And uh, yeah, also um, yeah, I've got a few different podcasts. I've, I've got the uh, Imperium cast with Joel Davis that is a very much a sort of extension of the Imperium Press uh, what, what we've been putting out. A lot of times we actually discuss the books that we uh, put out. And also, of course, Culture Dads, which is, uh, I'm, I'm really stoked on this one. I've, I've been enjoying it immensely. This is, as Dave said, deep dives into aesthetics and culture. Um, it's sort of a, a easy way in, uh, natural way in for guys who don't really give a damn about like 19th century reactionary counter-enlightenment thinking. They care more about, um, you know, good music and movies and what's going on today. So this is, uh, you know, there's all, all kinds of ways in. This is different strokes for different folks. And Culture Dads has been uh, a blast so far that we've done it. Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. And it's right in my wheelhouse. Um, it's it's like a very nostalgic for me to listen to, especially the RPG episode, which you said you had a lot of good feedback on. Yeah, Um each one of them we've had lots of good feedback on. Uh, some, somebody posted about the Godfather episode. So what we've done basically is um, we put up the full episode of uh, the, the first episode in full on our YouTube page, but every subsequent one after that, uh, we'll put up the first 15, 20 minutes or something like that because um, we it's basically like a paid podcast uh, for subscribers uh, on our Gumroad. This is sort of tied in with the Imperium Press brand because you know we publish kind of spicy stuff. We want to have uh, a variety of ways that guys can sort of help us keep the lights on. So this is one way, you know, if um, if PayPal decides that doesn't like what we're doing, this will let us keep going. Um, anyhow, uh, we put up the first episode in full on YouTube and it went off really, really well. Like I had, so, somebody commented that, that you know, there have been thousands of uh, analyses of The Godfather uh, but this one was definitely the most based and red pilled of all. So, you know, that was pretty cool. That was great to hear. Uh, that one did well. And then the RPG episode that we put up the first bit of that one, you guys really sort of took to that because we were kind of saying some things that I think guys have been uh, thinking maybe at the back of their mind for a long time, but uh, hadn't really sort of uh, come to the fore, you know, things about how, uh, the best art is, you know, less is more kind of thing. And like, you know, this was basically me explaining why I like the first, um, you know, the first six installments of the Final Fantasy series versus the later ones is because, you know, the best art is uh, constrained and less is more and all that stuff. And guys really, you know, they identified with that. And, and there was there was quite a lot said during that episode, especially as it regards um, you know, the, the importance of the RPG to culture, the importance of gaming to culture and the importance of 
you know, camaraderie and the party and, and um, e- even going into such sort of like somewhat esoteric topics as the ability to sort of choose and mold your identity, whether it be in a game or whether it be in real life as a kind of symptom of the liberal 21st century that we live in. So um, guys are really, really down with some of these takes and we've got a lot of good feedback on it. Yeah, I think um, I really love doing culture dads because to me it feels fresh, right? It's um, it's kind of us because it's it's really important for us to do, especially like what Mike's doing with bringing the classics out, putting out this kind of um, the philosophical stuff and the deep theory. And it's really important to have those those things out there. And um, it's really important to have that as your base and to learn those things so we can figure out our worldview as traditionalists or nationalists or whatever you want to call it, whatever we're called. Right. It's important for us to kind of cleanse our minds of the, the liberal mind virus and see the world as our ancestors did. But we also uh, we are modern people, you know, thrownness and all that. We're here, whether we like it or not. And there are parts of our culture that are meaningful to us in this age. For me, I'm 34. The parts of culture for me that were meaningful that I really, really, like, don't get me wrong. I love listening to classical music. I love uh, looking at ancient um, ancient folk art. I love seeing uh, sculptures. I love all that stuff. It's beautiful. It's, my ancestors did, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't get my blood pumping like listening to an old Iron Maiden album or or like watching some Attitude Era WWF or, or firing up the, the uh, Sega Genesis and, and playing like Altered Beast or, or Golden Axe or those things were Hell yeah were were my culture right that was that was my culture and ju- even though that might not be as grandiose as what our ancestors did that stuff was meaningful to us and i make the argument that those uh, art forms are legitimate uh successors to uh the ancient stuff yeah the right? word they, you they used are... in that episode a lot with them was mythopoetic and it's absolutely yep. perfect they are part of the mythopoetic current. They are carrying the torch, even if it might be in some sort of you know pixel art, or it might be a bunch of dudes shredding guitars or like whatever it is. But those things are important to us, and it's I think it's um it's it's so it's been so much fun to kind of take what what me and Mike have built in our minds and all the knowledge that we have, and go back and look at these things that were meaningful to us back then and figure out why they were so meaningful and why they're so much better than most of the crap that we have today. Because this is a big point that I make a lot is that um, we hate everything today. The movies suck. The yeah, games man. are paused. Everything is just trash. And it's yeah. not even just that it's that it's paused, right? It's also just not good. So we need to look at the stuff that we made um, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago and look at uh, what went into this that made this so special, what made this so unique, what made this so meaningful, so we can recreate it today with our with our worldviews. Yeah, okay. bro. And when you see this, when you when you actually start to unpack these things, and you look at what works and what was what was good and what's become classic, you know, of, of all the stuff that's happened in our lifetimes, um, a lot of times what you end up finding is that these things do what good art has done forever. Uh, that they are legitimate heirs because they're, whether consciously or not, they're doing all the shit that the ancient artists did, but within their own medium. 
Um, so it's, you know, it takes a little bit of scratching below the surface. Like how, how does Final Fantasy stack up to Beowulf or something like that? Well, in some ways it does. In some ways it's doing a lot of the same stuff. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, we, we talked a little bit about, about how a good art is constrained. Well, I mean, take the soundtrack for Final Fantasy whatever final fantasy one even uh, extremely highly constrained they only had something like uh, four uh voices that they could uh, i think it's actually three voices and a sound effects channel that they could run at a, at one time extremely highly constrained and yet the soundtrack by nobuo umatsu is one of the classic video game soundtracks of all time and the reason why is in part because of that constraint just like the beowulf poet was able to turn a highly, highly constrained, um, you know, metrical form into something beautiful by just being able to work within those limits. So, you know, that, that would be like an example of one of the things that we kind of unpack on, on the RPG episode in particular. And it's this kind of stuff that you see, if you look below the surface, if you really kind of start to dig down into what these things are doing, it turns out that we love them, not by accident. We love them because they're doing things that people have loved forever. Yeah, man, that's excellent. That's that's exactly what I'm trying to uh, evoke on the show is is people who are reclaiming those aesthetics Um, and those aesthetics are from the 80s. And it's interesting to me because you guys also talked about black metal on that episode. And I'm very concerned with the evolution of culture over the decades and how the dominant medium of the culture for us now, it would be the Internet uh, affects affects that culture and affects that art artistic production and cultural production so in the 80s when they were putting out these rpgs they were very very limited and they were they were working with what they had as opposed to black metal right which was a reactionary uh minimalism to where death metal had gone in the 80s and and the heavy metal scene had gotten totally blown out now i love it i i I know you guys love it or at least i've heard dave talk about it um you you mentioned ingve momstein on that episode um, the yep. 80s were filled with guys like him, Joe Satriani, um, and then uh, super, super heavy death metal, which was just like a blast in your face, which was itself a reaction to uh, prog rock. And then black metal came along in the 90s as sort of a reaction to that, where they had the technology available to them to do things like they were doing in the previous decade. And you mentioned uh, how Varg recorded Philosophem on a, on a literal tape recorder. Um, and it was just him with a guitar, uh, a crappy microphone. And, and at that point, when that album had come out, he had money. He had as much fame as, as you can have at that time, uh, which was quite a lot uh, in Norway. And he chose to do it the other way. Um, and there's there's a lot of reasons why we can get into that. I don't think are exactly relevant to the topic at hand. Um, he kind of didn't want the fame. He kind of wanted to keep it. Um, you know, I really like Varg's aesthetics and I've been a fan for forever my whole life of, of Burzum. But um, how it relates to what we're talking about is uh, him and all the rest of the black metal guys, but I think he is like the distillation of the aesthetic. Um, it was a reaction and a re- to and a rejection of the uh, self-indulgence of the previous era. And interestingly, um, I really want to get you guys take on this because we're all in the same uh, age group, more or less. The same thing was happening in the 90s with film. Um, Quentin Tarantino uh, specifically and explicitly states that his aesthetics in the beginning were a reaction to the self-indulgence and to the commercialism of the big 80s movies. 
Now, um, I'm a fan of both. I'm a fan of the big 80s movies, and I'm also a fan of like the 90s um, uh, uh, independent film uh, movement. I like both. However, as time has gone by, I think now we need to sort of uh, reclaim that bombast of the 80s and the manliness of the 80s, because Mm -hmm. I feel like the rejection Uh, It started out with grunge. It started out with black metal and it started out with, you know, Quentin Tarantino. The rejection of it has sort of gone on uh, to the point where it's become become toxic. And I I hate using a word that that feminists have have commandeered. Um, But it's pretty clear, though, that our culture is being poisoned by all this. Um, It is toxic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm sure you guys you guys have already made these observations and uh, have a lot to say about it. So please. pick it up yeah i've um i I, i'll talk a little bit about the thing i know better uh than anything else really which is music um i can't really speak for film although i definitely see what you're saying about like the trend of uh, indie uh films and everything like that in the 90s um and you know uh, these things do go back and forth like a a bit of a pendulum and there's a kind of if not happy medium, there's usually sort of like when something is sort of turning around and like from its ex- uh, period of excess and coming back, that's when people sort of like that. They like to see the turn, um, but we definitely need that. And sort of like what, what happened in music after grunge, I think grunge was really sort of the culmination of that turn that started with punk and then moved all the way through the eighties with the underground scene and then uh, kind of culminated in grunge and and black metal in, in the metal world um that was fresh that was really good that was some interesting stuff was happening at that point but it's continued and continued and basically you haven't really seen i mean there have been some kind of very niche sub genres that have been born since that time like you could think of something like emo or um what's the dubstep and and you know and some of this like trap and things like that all this shit that's like you know it is what it is, you know, it's not something doing something particularly new, but a lot of what's, or you could think of the hip hop world also of grime and things like that. Basically what, what's, what's happening is on a sort of like larger scale is that um, the sort of urgent and like vital, like heart of music, which is in sort of generally in the, in what the underground has just become more and more obscure, more and more navel-gazing, more and more weak, more and more limp-wristed and effeminate and boring. Yeah. It's become fucking boring. I hate, you know, I've, for ages, I was, a, I was a musician back in the 2000s. This is what I did, uh, 2000s and 2010s. Um, and I was just like, I was, I was one of those guys that still was like into the kind of like, you know, uh, early 90s shit. I like what was going on then. I like the metal at that point. I like the, you know, the alternative rock and, and like the late 80s and early 90s, like early Soundgarden and things like that. Like that was that was vital stuff. Um, but what I what I got was like my chemical romance. And, and I got like, you know, uh, with bright eyes and all this death, like death just, punk. Yeah, well, I actually kind of like the first Daft Punk. Oh, album, no, I'll be I'm honest. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now that, well, but it, it was it was it did get very tired very quickly. And I guess what I'm saying is that what happened was you got this thing that you could call the cult of the amateur. And this is actually a book that was written back uh, about 2010 or so, something like that. Sorry to jump in, but that's the perfect title for the internet 
culture. I have a whole episode where we talk about how everybody with their phone yeah. taking a selfie thinks they're a, a director or a film star or a model or, you know, what have you. Uh, and now, now everybody's a porn star on OnlyFans. It's like exactly. the cult of the amateur. That's the perfect term. Anyway, go on. Yeah, it was a book. I'll, I'll wrap this up and, and give Dave a chance to weigh in here. But um, this was a book that was written back in the 2010s when Web 2.0 was starting, really starting to go. You know what I mean by that? It's like basically the the advent of the Internet where the audience and creator sort of like started this feedback loop or whatever, um, where the audience started to interact with the creator. You know, you got the rise of MySpace and shit. That was Web 2.0. That was the early and Facebook, early Web 2.0. This guy wrote a book critiquing that and basically saying, like, look, this is why art is so shitty. It's shitty because there basically is no sort of mechanism wherewith to select there's no selection mechanism basically to filter out the garbage from everything that's good and you know if every if if you've got like you know instead of let's just say like you know 20 genres to choose from if you've got like you know 2000 little subgenres to choose from and there's like who's the okay not everybody likes this guy but who's the fucking Kurt Cobain of the uh, 2000s? Nobody, right? Who's the John Lennon? Again, nobody. not everybody likes this guy, but he's an icon. Who's the John Lennon? Nobody. Who's the, you know, uh, like, you know, who's the Quentin Tarantino of the 2010s in film? Nobody Amanda knows, Millies. right? Amanda Millie. Because, Go on, well, sorry. I, I, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I just mean like, the, the guy who's a household name that like people who aren't even really into film still fucking know uh, it's it, these things have been sort of swept under the rug by the cult of the amateur, uh, which is web 2.0. Anyway, this is, this is the, this is the take of this guy around 2010 or whatever. And at that point, you know, I'm sort of like a burgeoning Nietzschean elitist guy, just like really into that kind of, especially Nietzsche and all it's, uh, it's really sort of, you know, singing my tune here. <clears throat> but then I got, I, I'll, I'll admit this. I got BTFO'd. I got, I, I really got corrected by what happened in about 2016, where you got to see actually what happens when a real groundswell of serious folk energy starts to come back. And this is what we saw with, you know, all the Pepe stuff, the, um, you know, all, all of the groundswell of aesthetic energy that started building around Trump, really. I, obviously, Trump himself ended up being a real disappointment, but that energy is still going. And it's, and it's basically continued today to where Imperium Press is sort of part of that and the larger national scene is part of that. So... Um, I kind of got corrected that maybe the cult of the amateur has something to say after all, but I definitely agree that we need to professionalize. Things need to get a little bit more polished. It'd be great to see guys who really know how to play their instruments or how to direct a film or how to write a poem come back and, and really uh, come to the fore and be selected by something like what we had back in the day in the nineties, where, you know, you had a, a, some major labels uh, that, you know, for all of their faults, at least we're able to find guys like Pantera, you know, like they were mm -hmm. a major labor. They were a major label band. The fucking boredoms were a major label band back then. And these are like super challenging, abrasive and extremely thrilling acts. Uh, I haven't seen that in a long time. And it would be great to see that kind of thing come back. Mm -hmm.
<clears throat> I mean, when we talk about, um, you know, and Mike's pointing out this specific era, there's something that kind of happened in the 2000s where you kind of got this um, this underbelly. You're talking about the, the cult of the amateur and these guys that kind of like exist in this, this underworld ghetto of music and they just kind of play at local coffee shops and, you know, jerk each other off. And it, it never really goes anywhere and becomes this artsy-fartsy, limpress, douchebag kind of scene. I used to be a musician too. I saw it. Um, pretty much what happened there in the in the late nineties in, in nineteen ninety six, and I, I'm sure you guys remember. You would be able to turn on the radio, FM radio, whatever it was here in my area, one hundred five seven DX. You know what I mean? You had like all that kind of stuff, classic rock, block, heavy metal from Central Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? So we would hear that stuff, and among among the the Panteras and among the Iron Maidens and among uh, the Deep Purples and the Black Sabbaths, we would hear these these like up and coming local, not necessarily specifically local to my area, but bands that were kind of uh, at that mid level that were rising from the the underground, right? And what it was is back in those times, like radio DJs. In order to be a radio DJ, you had to not only you had to know your stuff, you had to you had to be an expert in the knowledge of the music that you specialize in some you had to be able to construct these playlists bring these uh, songs up you had to uh, know the pacing of the playlist you had to you had to be an expert at music at understanding and playing music you the radio DJs around this time were also very very heavily involved in local music scenes they would go to shows, they would shake hands, they'd know who's this guy, that guy, blah, blah, blah. They'd bring them on their show. Hey, oh, I've been friends with this guy, he's a guitar player in this band, blah, blah, blah. Tell us what you got going on. Like, this was a thing that radio DJs used to do. Radio DJs were sort of these, these like uh, regional stewards, this selective uh, force that would reach into the uh, uh, amateur underground and pull like the really exceptional examples, the beautiful specimens and pull them up and put them in the light so they could get uh, even bigger. This completely went away in 1996. In 1996, they passed what was called the Telecommunications Act. This is also called radio homogenization. And pretty much what happened was all of these local stations, which by the way, were protected since 1934. 1934, they passed the Communications Act, which pretty much said, uh, radio stations belong to the locality. That's uh, they belong to the municipality. They're for the people. They can play what they want as long as they behave and they obey the censorship rules, right? The um, whatever they're called, uh, the guys that that break balls if you say the f word or whatever. That the FCC, F FCC, who are scumbags, by the way. But anyway, um, they were th these radio DJs were effectively kind of like like. Um, the master of ceremony. They were the. They were like the these like local. Um, they would procure local music, right? When nineteen when nineteen ninety six when the Telecommunications Act passed, uh, companies like like um, Clear Channel and Viacom spent something to the tune of of like forty million dollars, like lobbying and greasing politicians' palms and everything like that them to pass this communications act this telecommunications act which lifted the number of stations a media conglomerate could own before then there were like laws that you could only own one or two or three or whatever that you were limited so it would maintain the locality of these of these uh, uh 
radio stations. When radio homogenization happened, homogenization happened, and the Telecommunications Act passed, Viacom and um, Clear Channel went on this ridiculous buying spree, buying up thousands and thousands of radio stations. So pretty much the entirety of what was once a very local uh, kind of, uh, I guess you could say like a cultural thing, went into the hands of these big media conglomerates. Out the window went uh, the the expert radio DJ that uh, was trying to find gems in his area or guys that are up and coming, and they now get uh, dictated to them corporate playlists of the pop that is procured and created and fabricated by the big um, the big record companies that are owned by Viacom and Clear Channel, and thus you get. Um, radio homogenization so it doesn't matter where you go you could go to philadelphia new york city salt lake city los angeles even in canada or wherever you're going to hear the same top 40 the same the same crap over and over again and it completely removed the regional flavor of the radio station which was a absolutely uh pivotal part of of uh of the music scene yeah man you're bringing back memories because I, I, I haven't thought about this in literal decades, but uh, I'm from uh, I'm not from Brooklyn, but I'm from very close to Brooklyn. And there was a local there's actually two local college radio stations in the early 90s. And I just remember like they would play local shit coming out of Brooklyn, like before it really hit mainstream. So I was listening to Typo Negative and Life of Agony and Helmet after they had like no albums out or maybe their first album was out, but they hadn't really hit big yet. And uh, you, you, you were always able to sort of uh, be in the know and um, you were kind of able to have your finger on the pulse of where music was going at the time. And all that mm -hmm. like disappeared within a decade or less. Um, Hip hop is even bigger with what I just said, uh, like Wu-Tang and Nas showing up on the radio for I, I, Wu-Tang was around for a long time before their first album even came out. Um, and you know, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but one thing I have to say about the nineties hip hop movement is it was, uh, it was real. It was, it was legitimate and it, it had a lot of heart and it was very vibrant. Um, and it was, it was just such a different time in the early nineties because, uh, you could, the average person you talk to, especially from New York, uh, they'd be, they would, they would seamlessly go from listening to typo negative, which is like the quintessential goth band straight into listening to, you know, Biggie Smalls or, or Wu-Tang. And it's just, it's yeah. not really like that now. And I, you know, of course we feel old saying like the music now is garbage, uh, especially rap, but it's really true. I mean, there, there was a bit of a yeah. attempt to re reclaim that vibe in, in hip hop as well, because shit just got totally watered down. And, and to Dave's point though, is it all started to happen at around the same time where, where rap got really glam and uh, new metal came in in the late 90s and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the all the all the grunge guys were, were dead or totally obscure. Um, so I want to I want to um, loop it back to what I was saying about about today, about how there's like sort of a reclamation now of some of the old like 1980s masculine aesthetics. I didn't actually say that, but that's what I was getting at. Uh, these masculine aesthetics of the 80s, like the Arnold movies, um, Stallone as well as the heavy metal, heavy metal was ascendant and really dominated the eighties. In my opinion, now the only scene of the last two decades, in my opinion, that really kind of kept the fire burning 
was the heavy metal scene and heavy metal turned into this really thriving, vibrant community of like tons of different proliferating genres all through the internet age. And I think heavy metal probably did the best under, under the internet. Um, and like all this, these little threads that you saw popping up and uh, Mike, I don't know if we're going to be able to get into this today, but at some point I want to talk to you about your, your musical career. Cause I heard a little, actually your music is on, um, is on the RPG episode. That's what, that's where I heard your music. The, the outro is your yeah. band, um, which is doom metal. And it's like, you know, the early nineties, you had this like second wave black metal going on. You had, uh, you had doom showing up with that band, uh, electric wizard and sleep. And then oh, fast forward. Yeah. That, that's the shit right there. That, fuck yeah, it is, dude. <laughs> I get Mike fuck all yeah, round up. Uh, Dope throne fucking bro. Friend. Yes. This, that's electric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I'll, I'll I'll let you guys go because you guys are the experts. Let me just uh, let me just uh, wrap up here with with the point I'm trying to make. Uh, I unfortunately, I think I'm starting to see metal, and I, I really I'm gonna name a couple bands, and it, it hurts me. I want you guys to know I'm feeling pain as I'm saying this because these are some of my favorite bands of all time. But like, if you listen to the music that Wolves in the Throne Room was putting out, that's fucking amazing it's killer right it's some of the best black metal you'll ever hear but do not go read an interview with those guys man all they're doing they're just disavowing their roots they're disavowing and they're disavowing uh second wave black metal every chance they get and um they're they're kind of giving this like hippy dippy uh environmental super paused woke you know, take a take on their music, which which I don't know if they're being disingenuous or not, but uh, I just have to choose to ignore that. And, and I can't believe that shit is happening to black metal um, at the same time. Mastodon, when Mastodon came out, they're like the sludgiest, heaviest, fucking brutal band ever. And now they're like a straight up pop band. Um, and, and I'm seeing this happen kind of a lot in metal. I hate to say it. Um, it's like the embers of the last vestige of manhood are like starting to maybe go out. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say though, just to kind of give a little redemption is there are, there are some bands popping up throughout Europe that uh, are still, are still going evil as fuck on the black metal scene. But um, yeah, yeah. Heavy metal. Uh, go ahead guys. I mean, I, so when we talk about heavy metal, why it kind of, um, it protected itself. It didn't, obviously you had new metal, which new metal was pretty much just completely like fabricated by the record companies yeah it was totally Bands commercial like, it, it, they literally they literally took sorry to interrupt they literally took studio musicians said you're going to be working with this guy this is the name of your band you're going to wear these clothes this is the lyrics to the song like et, fucking manufactured from the top down sorry go ahead yeah it, it, like like the band disturbed that was, they put them together like they put together the monkeys it's just so gay it's gay but um, I'm I'm still hating on new metal like years later. Yeah, I hated when it came out, and I'm still yeah, hating on the it worst. today. The it's worst. the worst. There there might have been like a couple bands in there that uh, that were kind of okay, but for the most part, that entire that entire movement was was fugazi. It, it was not organic. The previous metal movements were organic, and I would say that the reason that heavy metal kind of protected itself is it started out as an underground thing. It, um, it, its identity was underground. Um, and you only, like, if, if you made it big, you only, like, 
got the nod and were accepted st still keeping your medalness if you just checked a few boxes. So what those boxes are, I'm not sure. But uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mike mentioned earlier, Pantera. Pantera was like on the, the top 40 list, right? And they nobody would say that Pantera like ceased being metal. In fact, people would say they got more metal when they got up there, right? They they went from heavy metal magic uh, um, and cowboys from hell to making a like, vulgar display of power and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, yeah. their later albums started to go down, but it's probably because of inner band turmoil and drugs. And it wasn't because they sold out, right? If you listen yeah. to their last album, Reinventing the Steel, it's it's not a bad album. It just doesn't have it, it doesn't have the magic of the previous albums because they all hated each other and it was like going downhill. Right? I want to throw in real quick. The only reason I even fucking know what black metal is, is because of Phil Anselmo, because he saw that they were even like farther extreme to the, to the metal, uh, uh, vibe, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Phil Anselmo. Yeah. Yeah. He was into, I think he had a, he actually had a black metal brand band called like, black crown or something no, like i can't remember he had a band called super joint ritual but yeah he took he took Satyricon, yeah they were a lot more sludgy yeah he took and Satyricon then down. on tour with them yeah. in like 1997 yeah that's based but um i would say that metal was insulated themselves ourselves from from like the the toxins of these like uh, corrupting corporate forces because heavy metal isn't like punk rock Punk rock is about, um, you know, Mike mentioned earlier, punk rock is all you need is uh, three chords and the truth. And you have a um, you have a you have a good punk rock song. Heavy metal doesn't care about the truth. Heavy metal wants to make good heavy metal for the sake of heavy metal. It's about the art in itself. And as you said earlier, you didn't even you didn't you said this the like wolves in the throne room. You're like, oh, they make excellent music, but they're douchebags. The first thing that came out of your mouth was how they make excellent, uh, excellent music. By omission, you're admitting that, well, they are, they do make good art. They are still pretty metal, blah, blah, blah. So this is something that heavy metal does that is different than, than other genres and why it insulated itself. And for guys out there that are looking at these um, these corporate bands that are kind of bending a knee and um, shame to them, by the way. And uh, we're going to do a black metal episode up here soon, and I'm going to. I'm going to go in on these sellout black metal musicians and how ashamed of themselves they should be. Can, can you name, out can you name one? Do you mind naming one? No, I don't want to, I, I don't right, want to get right, too right. far. I don't no, want right, to get too right, far right. into it right, right now. Go on, but, go on. Um, it's something that's had, like, uh, you know, and here's, I'll name this guy. Uh, what's his name? Michael Flynn from machine head that came out and, and uh, uh, cucked and shamed Phil and Selmo for, for saying, yeah, getting drunk and yelling white power at a man 30 years ago. That would have been like, what they do right heavy metal is about rattling cages and being edgy and being based and badass and stuff like that not apologizing and being a pussy and it's just it's just absolutely disgusting but i will say that heavy metal still maintains its integrity in the art form and and there's still movements going on so you guys out there that are feeling some kind of way there's one movement that i absolutely love it's called the new wave of traditional heavy metal and it's a lot of the, these bands are cropping up everywhere and they're bringing back sounds of like bands like uh, Storm Witch and Merciful Fate and Manowar and Iron Maiden and like all this kind of stuff from the 80s and 90s. And they're bringing back this sound and it, they're doing it very, very well. And not only they're not just like coming up with a good song here or there, they're writing entire albums that are just badass. 
past. Just like it's like reliving those times. So um, heavy metal live, is immortal, regardless uh, when this when this whole big gay paused um, thing passes. Heavy metal will still be alive and uh, will still be thriving forever, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, it, that, that's, it, it's it's important to underline what you said there, Dave, about how how metal is about rattling cages, as you said. You know, it's about giving the middle finger to your expectations and and basically saying fuck you to to anybody that um, you know wants to tell you how to play or or what to do or anything like that. In this sense, there's there is some crossover between punk and metal. Um, with that same attitude and it's part of how metal has survived over time where punk kind of hasn't um i mean you you think of that meme that's like you know the most punk it's it's like this archie comic or whatever where like one of the characters is dressed like a goth punk girl and she's like the most the most punk thing in the world is agreeing with a fucking the hr department of starbucks or something it's like you know this is this is what they all believe now right and mm. but part of how metal is survived metals has the same original attitude of you know um, I'm doing it my way and DIY ethic and everything like that. But it's also survived because of some of the structural features um, that have been part of it since forever. I mean, from the perspective of like, you know, modern pause, metal has serious problems. It's, it's aesthetic is extremely reactionary. Uh, it's, it's overall sort of thrust is very masculine. Um, and here's something it has that punk doesn't. It's very technical. There's a, there's a high barrier to entry. Uh, you need guys who actually know how to fucking play their instruments in order to be in a metal band. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, what this means is that you get guys who are a little bit autistic <laughs> and, you know, it's, it sort of filters out the sort of like, you know, wishy-washy, um, you know, riot girl that just picked up a, an instrument five seconds ago and is now as a, as a punk star or whatever. Um, and frankly, what you get in the, um, the, the metal aesthetic is something that's actually quite folkish. This is why we get a lot of um, pre-Christian uh, imagery in metal. This is because they're sort of looking back to a time where uh, they, they really just are very much focused on sort of like ancestral aesthetics right and from the perspective of you know the modern bug man i mean this is this is terrible i remember i i I had conversations with friends of mine who being in the music scene obviously you're going to run across guys who are you know whatever They, they they might be all into you know mastodon and stuff like that but they also are very progressive uh in their political outlook and i remember discussions with them where like just it's hilarious i didn't even get in on the discussion i just sort of like biting my lip and just like listening eagerly to them kvetching and wringing their hands over how metal is, is it's, it's so hardcore, but at the same time, it's also, it's also very problematic and it's just hilarious. Right. Um, This is just to say that for a long time, there's been this tension between the aesthetics of metal, what it demands as a genre and the demands of the gatekeepers that kind of like, you know, let, whoever through based on what they believe. Um, and honestly, the demands of some of the audience, like some of these guys who are, you know, big three inches of blood fans, but they're also into, uh, I don't know, they're into intersectionality or some other bullshit like that. I thought you were <laughs> going to say that, that, that they're, they're into pegging. 
No, no. Well, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that sadly there is some crossover. I was going to say, too. yeah, there's got to yeah. be. Yeah, sadly, I mean, the, it's it's very much a misinterpretation. But uh, in any case, metal has survived because the aesthetic of the genre is inherently based. And unfortunately, it, it seems like that the culture has moved to a point where it is so hegemonic that even despite that, it still demands of the people who are who become successful at it that they all sort of fall in line and march in lockstep with with you know what's going on in the current year, uh, which which is very sad to see. So I mean, you know, uh, this is this is why you're seeing these. You know, what was it? I forget the name of the band that you mentioned, but um, we are seeing these bands that are basically falling in line here. Um, and you know what? Nothing lasts forever. So it's, it, you know, hopefully this will lead to something like a reinvention. Maybe metal will go off in a completely different direction. Maybe it'll turn into a, a different genre altogether. But I really see some of this DIY spirit, this don't tell me what to do, this, you know, middle finger to the system spirit that's actually seems to be transitioning out of music and into things like the the nationalist uh, political scene in, in in essence i think nationalism is more punk rock than punk rock ever was because if you think of punk rock as a sort of structural challenge to the system which it purported to be i mean there is no there is no stronger challenge to the system than what's going on so what's yeah. going on in our scene I would, yeah, I would, I, I agree with that completely. There are certain art forms that are just inherently based and problematic and can't, can't uh, bend the knee unless they in, in completely relinquish their identity and dissolve and become something completely different. And if they do that, then the whole thing's over. Everybody's going to flip out, right? Um, metal is very romantic by nature. It, um, it, 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 it very much fancies itself kind of a reincarnation of like classical music or uh, something very primal, right? What is the form of dance for heavy metal? The mosh pit, which is probably the most extreme display of modern uh, toxic masculinity you can think of. It's a bunch of drunk, wound up, sweaty dudes that shove each other and beat on each other but there's also kind of like a manner bund about it, right? You go there, you're in the pit, you're there to tear each other up and just while out and be a chimpanzee. But if somebody falls, you got to pick them up. There's like, there's a code of honor with it, right? Yeah, so, for sure. Can I, it's, uh, it's very, go ahead. I, I want to jump in on the mosh pit. Hold that thought though. Cause I, I got, I got an anecdote that is like so evocative of exactly what you're talking about. Um, like I said, I'm, I grew up near New York city and I remember going to a show it must have been 2006, maybe 2005. And even then, the we look back at 2005, like it seems like that was an era that was similar to ours with the wokeness and the, the pausing of the culture. But it was actually like a different fucking world. And I remember going to a metal show and the mosh pit just kept getting super fucking heavy. And then it would just devolve into a fist fight and people would beat the fuck out of each other. And then it'd get broken up and then it would happen again all through the show. And it just was like as extreme as you could possibly be. I went back to New York maybe 10 years later, 2015, 2016. Dude, if you guys haven't been to Brooklyn in the last 10 years, you're not you're, you're not even going to you're going to think I'm making this up. So me and my friend get there. Uh, 
everyone is in a fucking costume. Everyone looks like they just went to Hot Topic to buy like the local, the, the the latest, you know, heavy metal garb. And everyone stood perfectly fucking still in their own place. Um, no Yay. one moshed, no one danced. So me and my friend just start going fucking crazy. Uh, we're singing the songs, we're screaming, we're jumping. Dude, we got so much hate. We got so much fucking hate. People tried to push us out. People were making fun of us to our face. People were telling us we were ruining the show for them. And we were like, what the fuck? I go to Boston like three weeks later to see the same band. And dude, it's just it's just chaos. It's pandemonium. It's mosh pits. People getting their heads knocked in. Uh, the ambulance had to show up to take somebody out. The same <laughs> band from Brooklyn said that that was the best show that, that they played on the entire tour. They give us like a three song uh encore and they all like stage dived into the crowd and i was like this is it this says it all man this fucking says it all i'm sorry i had to share that story though when you're talking about moshing like it, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable and these were guys bro these were guys that it wasn't women being like you're being toxic it was dudes who were like taking us to the back to be like you're ruining the, the experience we're like you're fucking ruining the experience dude you're just fucking standing there yeah, they don't understand what the experience is all about, right? Like, you know, going to a concert isn't a fucking spectator sport, right? Music is inherently something Dionysiac. It's something participatory. There's a kind of feedback loop that, like, you know, is generated between the crowd and the performer, right? And when the crowds, I know this from being a performer, and the crowd's really into it, that it just starts this, starts this thing where they get into it you get into it they get more into it you get more into it and then the thing just sort of builds up to this apotheosis of just it's almost ecstatic you know what i mean when when you're really playing a gig when you're playing a gig and and shit's happening and everybody's sort of like uh, you know everybody's firing on all cylinders the crowd is into it that is when magic happens when guys are just standing there sort of like looking at their feet and like you don't know if they're like really into it or if they're just uh you know completely zoned out and like you know looking on their phone or whatever it just ruins the whole experience so yeah that's that's ridiculous man like where was this concert that like you know guys were just standing around where, where was this you know what's really funny about this dude is it was in brooklyn it was in fucking williamsburg oh. and the guy that i went with was from williamsburg and i'm willing to bet he's the only guy there from brooklyn uh, he was probably the only guy in the show from brooklyn I remember this one dude literally turned to us and said, oh, you guys are so fucking cool because you know all the words to the songs. And my friend was like, I was like, dude, don't beat his ass. Just fucking let's just let the show ride. <laughs> like, <laughs> Cringe. Yeah. So this is a phenomenon that we're seeing uh, quite a bit in in a lot of things. You have these. Um, I don't even know what they are. These like bug men, yuppies. A lot of most of them are Zoomers. Right. And I'm not dunking on Zoomers. I think dunking on Zoomers is is like, you know, kind of tired at this point. You know, it's like low-hanging fruit. But, you know, just calling a spade a spade. A lot of these guys are, are, are Zoomers. And uh, they're, they're, they're not organically part of these things. They are performing a simulation, right? They see it's almost like a fetish for them, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's, fucking, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So it's... So it's like um, you see this. In fact, in in like tabletop role playing, uh, there's this huge meme that goes around that you have these new players. They call they spell it new, like like uh, new metal, like nu. New players uh, are are um, aren't actually organically 
you know, RPG players, they're just trying, they don't actually read the source material. They didn't read Jack Vance and Conan and like all of these, these really awesome stuff. And then get inspired by that to play like a tabletop game. Right. They see, um, they see things like big bang theory. They see things like, um, uh, you know, the show called critical role. They see it on stranger things. They see on TV, Play, people playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then they try to emulate that. They're not organically part of it. And it's the same thing with heavy metal. It, they, they are not organically part of it. They didn't grow up with it. They're not part of the culture. They don't really know anything about it. They go to Hot Topic. They, they buy the garb that they think looks like the TV shows, and they go there and they try to emulate it. They don't understand it. They don't know it. They're not part of it. It's a simulation. It's a fetish. It's almost like they like the idea of the concert better than the concert or they like the idea of the game better than they like the actual game like the real like you know organic concrete instantiation of the thing is a disappointment to them so what they have to do is they have to sort of like stand there in their own little world and sort of imagine that it is you know like they're probably standing there and like listening to uh you know this metal band playing just imagining guys moshing or whatever it's like and they're just standing there in in re, you know in, in real life and, and the band is just being like are these guys into it or what you know um but yeah. it's just yeah it's 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 the idea of the thing the sort of like you say the simul simulation of the thing is what it's all about for them and that's too bad because uh, you know, this is goes into a, a little bit of a deeper point that I won't I won't get into here, but it's really the concrete inst- instance of the thing that we love as nationalists. It's it's the particular um, fact facticity of being. It's it, we like things that are from here and not from there. We we like things that are particularized. We like things that are concrete. Uh, this is what sort of like you know, is at the bottom of what the nationalist scene is kind of all about in terms of ideology, in terms of theology as well. So when you see something like this, where guys, you know, they're, they're just standing around and, or they're, they're sort of like, I mean, you can't fault for anyone for enjoying something the way they enjoy it or trying to participate the way they try, but for, you know, being disappointed with the thing uh, as it actually is in the world I mean, there, there's a sort of deep pause there that's, that's even hard to get to the bottom of, really. Yeah, man. Um, this is all great. This is all great. I want to, um, I, I, just in the interest of time, maybe uh, uh, propose another question and take us off that aspect of this topic, but still on the same topic because you're both musicians. And um, that is, that's like a big blank spot for me. I've never really learned to play an instrument. Um, so I want to I ask you something, and it's, it, it's, it's in the same... Uh, the same spirit of exactly what we're talking about, because uh, I just want to also say that metal is supposed to be apolitical um, and and if not right wing. So to see it get paused is we all know it's wrong. We all know it's wrong. But anyway, uh, what I want to say is what we're talking about here is like a watering down of culture where everybody's supposed to think the same way. And I think the Internet is playing a huge role in that. But there's also a watering down of musicianship. So I'm going to make a statement and then you guys give me feedback if you think I'm wrong or right. It's not exactly a question, but from my sort of um, uh, unprofessional, uh, you know, am- not even amateurish, just just ignorant perspective on musicianship itself. It looks like there's somewhat of a watering down going on uh, in that respect as well. And here's what I mean by that. Um, 
on the one hand, throughout the last 20 years, as I said, uh, metal's been keeping the fire burning, and it's been keeping the fire burning for the culture and the vibe as well as the musicianship. It's the only place you could go in the 2000s and the 2010s where somebody's like really a master at the drums or a master at the guitar. Um, and even a, even a master at uh, arranging songs with the time signature changes and shit like that. But I've been noticing lately that one of two things is happening. Either the sound with this proliferation, proliferation of genres, either the sound kind of has turned into like this one uh, 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 sort of um, this one sort of like pillar of sound, like where it all sounds the same thing or. Um, the the musicianship maybe is technically really good, but it's just a copy. It's just a copy of what people were doing in the 80s. And what and even I'm even seeing copies of what people were doing in like the 2000s. Like if you remember, uh, the only name that comes to mind is like Dillinger Escape Plan. They were like extremely fucking technical, heavy shit. Um, and, and but the way they did it, in my opinion, was like evolving the genre. They were taking this uh, high tech complicated genre and making it even more high tech and, and complicated. And I feel like in the last five years or so, I'm mostly just seeing like recapitulations of all that stuff. And it's kind of cool with me because I love fucking doom metal. I love it. I love black metal. I love second wave black metal. I could never get enough of it, but I have for the first time ever in my life started to be like, wow, every band is starting to sound the same. Am I, am I crazy? Or do you guys see that too? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely going in that direction. Um, music itself is, as a medium, starting to kind of change. And technology, this will tie in with your uh, the, 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 the theme of your show, uh, technology is starting to change it to where, you know, Zoomers, um, and this is not a cr criticism of Zoomers, it's just an observation, don't listen to music the way that like a Gen Xer would. They don't sit down and listen to an album um, as, as often or as regularly as someone that was like, you know, born in 1978 would, right? Like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to sit down, I would just like, you know, pop on the headphones or chuck it on my stereo and just like listen to a cassette, listen to a whole album from start to finish. And that was that, right? I think, I think what young people today, uh, what they think of music as is it's something that is actually, um, involved in or uh it, it goes together with some other medium music is something that is a soundtrack it's a soundtrack to a video game or a soundtrack to a movie or something like that uh it's rarely well not i shouldn't say rarely it's not as often sort of just enjoyed for itself it, by itself as it would have been in previous times just because of the technological advancements um so i think that that is kind of changing the way that music um is consumed and what it, the expectations of it are, but I'm also sort of seeing another another um, thread, another kind of trend that's it's been going on for a long time. We alluded to it before with the cult of the amateur. So I, I I don't know why, but I guess it was the YouTube algorithm that pushed this on me. the The latest song by a band called the OCs, and I don't expect you guys to know who these people are. They're basically a garage rock band, um, like from the 2010s or whatever. Uh, I, I was never a fan of them. I don't like 2010s garage rock, even though I, by all accounts, I should. It's everything I should like. It's simple. It's punchy. It's to the point. It's it's very supposedly authentic or whatever. But it just isn't though. It's it's try hard. It's it's shit. I don't know. And this OC's song, I couldn't even tell you the name of it. Was just 
I listen to it and it's like, these guys are trying to suck. They're trying to be shitty. <laughs> and right on, man. Right on. That's kind of like, I don't know. I like the simple shit. I, I, I don't see, I don't see music going in a direction of being highly technical. I think that that is probably it, it's day is over. And that like, if, when it comes back, because it always will come back. These things are always cyclical. It'll happen in a sometime in the, like, you know, quite far future. Um, but what is, what is coming back is, is a kind of, um, well, I, I it's gonna. It's hard not to just be an old fogey here and be like, music is just shit right now. But what is trying <laughs> to be reborn? What what is very flawed but trying to come back is the idea of authenticity. The idea that, uh, and it is a very punk rock aesthetic. The idea that um, you know what it, what music what musicianship is all about fundamentally isn't necessarily about technical mastery. It's about having something to say. And it's about having heart and it's about going hard at it, you know? And uh, I, I think that this is something that's trying to come back. It's struggling because of the, what I said before about the structural and technical technological dimensions of what's sort of pushing music into the background, but that is kind of what's trying to be reborn. And it may not even be reborn in music, it may be reborn in poetry, it may be reborn in, um, in, you know, literature or something else. Um, but that is what is trying to come back. And in, in a sense, that's what's trying to come back in the, the wave of focusedness that is undoubtedly coming back in the political sphere. So yeah, that's my sort of take on that, but it'd be interesting to hear what you think of that, Dave. I think it's, it's, it's hard to articulate because I'm, I'm thinking in my head, it's like, okay, yeah, I don't like bands that are just pretty much soulless tech wank. Right. I don't I don't really like bands that's laser sweeps and 32 second blast beats. And like it's, they don't really write good songs. You got for me to listen to you, you got to write good songs. And then I'm thinking, um, you know, I love the, the album from Dying Fetus, Descend into Depravity, which is which is pretty tech, has a lot of tech blank. Right. There's just tons of sweeps. There's blast beats. There's all this stuff. But Dying Fetus does something that's a little bit different. Yeah, they have the to tech death extreme stuff but they also mix in like these like really simple chuggy breakdown dun 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 and you know what i mean they just they put it all together so that kind of like proves me wrong there and then i'm like well you know and then you go the other way and it's like i like the simple stuff too one of my favorite songs and you know this is a song that's it's a popular song uh balls to the wall by the by accept is like one of the best metal songs ever written you know, if you ever hear the song, it is so simple. Blah, blah, nah, nah. Boots, psst, boots. And that's the whole song. And it's it's such a good song. It's such a good metal song. So I don't even know if I know how to uh, articulate this. But I can say that I know it when I see it. And I know what it's not. And when I hear something and it's not, I think probably what ties Accept and Dying Fetus together is that it's authentic, right? They, they they were playing to the skill level that was that they could they were writing the songs that they thought sounded awesome and um i don't even know i don't even know i don't even think that, that there's i think it's just one of those things that it can't be put into words you know it when you see it and i think that that's what authenticity really really is yeah like those bands those those songs um 
the instances of, of what we're talking about here, they all kind of just, they have heart, right? And this is something yeah. that goes be, beyond metal. Um, that, and this, this is what makes music good. And of course, you know, if we could say what makes music good in a way that was reproducible and um, formulaic, then music would be pretty fucking boring and no one would like it. Something that's mysterious, something that you can't put your finger on. What is it that has heart to it? And this is what guys like about bands like, say, say take, take a band like um, Nirvana or whatever, which is, a you know, not everybody's favorite band. I love Nirvana. I love grunge. I'm unapologetic about that. But what I like about that shit, like take a song like Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana, which is one of their really noisy songs, one of their really, really screechy songs. Uh, it's one fucking note. The, the, the riff to the verse is just one fucking note. And it's not just one note. It's one note played as like it's 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 basically the rhythm of a children's rhyme. It goes bat bat da da ba da 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 which is like uh chuck chuck fo fuck banana nana fo fuck. You know that? That's the fucking song. That's how they wrote it too. And you know, these guys, they're clearly, I mean, Kurt Cobain was obviously a waste case and a seriously depressed individual, but you can hear the the spirit in that band when you put on fucking nevermind and you crank it up so to where your neighbors can hear it you can just hear kurt cobain's spirit come screaming out of the speakers undeniable uh and that's what people like about music that's what they want to hear i could i could think of another we, we're spending a lot of time talking about music here but that's we, fine man that's that's what this think of another band today. we could think of another band like I'll take, for example, and this is going to surprise guys who know this band, Neutral Milk Hotel. I don't know if anybody. Yeah, uh, of course. Is, they were part of the ind indie revival of the late. 90s. Yeah, I, I yeah, mean, yeah, and yeah. I talked before about how I thought like, you know, indie was limp wristed and, and shitty and, and whatever. But here's the thing about Neutral Milk Hotel. That guy goes fucking hard and he's extremely limited. His, his sonic palette is very limited. He's got that kind of like uh you know very very limited voice uh vocal range vocal ability uh he knows about four or five chords and that's it but like you listen to it and and of course it's about the 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 um you know the content that of it is about something that is uh you know very paused it's it's about Anne frank right but the thing is the way that he does it the way that he puts it together and the heart that he puts into it is just undeniable i i you know you don't have to like every band you don't have to like neutral milk hotel but you can you can hear the the spirit in that guy and that's what people like that's why they're a legendary band uh and that is something that is struggling to be reborn now the 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 jury's out whether it will actually happen in music i hope it does uh i tried very very hard for about 10 years to do my part to make it be reborn in my own scene. Um, and it was very sad to see that so many, so many bands that I loved, and this is kind of going back to what Dave said earlier about with the radio DJs that knew everything about their local scene. And there were all these gems that would, were undiscovered otherwise. When I was playing music in the, in the mid 2000, mid to late 2000s, 
I knew so many legendary bands in my scene that should have been legendary, that these, these are bands that should have been as, as, as influential as the Sex Pistols or the Ramones or like all these bands, but just will never be heard because, uh, well, I, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that for another time to talk about why, but it was, it's something that's struggling to be reborn, this authenticity and let's hope it does get reborn in music. If it doesn't get reborn in music, this spirit will never die. So it will come back in something else. Right now, it looks like it's coming back in the political sphere, but hopefully it will come back in the aesthetic sphere too. Yeah. I, to move over to, to literature, when I first started to put out the Bizarre Archives, I got some quite like, why are you, why are you bringing back pulp? Isn't pulp you know, garbage? Isn't pulp? Um, kitsch isn't pulp this isn't that why you why are you doing that uh, short stories why are you, you talking to amateur authors why don't you reach out and hire uh what and i was like you know i haven't read anything in recent times because i love fiction i'm a big fiction guy i love my non-fiction but um, um my heart is with fiction and um i wanted to do pulp because pulp as mike said had heart it was it was lumpy it was uh, a lot of times, um, you know, amateurish. It was a little bit rough around the edges, but the really, really good pulp authors had heart, right? And that's why I think that um, we're seeing this big, like, pulp swell in in the right. We jokingly call it the pulp right because there's we're, we're seeing like, uh, you know, pulp um, publications starting to crop up now. You got these guys called Pulp Renaissance. You got uh, what I'm doing with the Bizarre Archives. You got Aegean that's coming out of Aureus Press. And there's other ones that are cooking and working. And there's just guys submitting stories everywhere. It's this cool little scene that's kind of brewing in the in the belly of, I guess, like dissident thought or whatever. And guys are really taken to it uh, because it's not navel-gazing, because it's not uh, formulaic, because it's not corporate. It's... It's kind of raw and rugged and, and grassroots a little bit. It's and it has heart. It's just a bunch of guys that have a little bit of talent that want to publish something, and they're coming up with the coolest, weirdest, most imaginative things that they can. So I think that um, there's there's so much that is just there's this like hunger. It's not just, and I'm not even going to point to any art form, but this there's this underlying just hunger for things that are authentic and have heart and balls and something that's just real, right? Because everything feels so plastic and fake in hypermodernity because it is fake, right? With the Elon Musk thing that we're seeing with Twitter, we're seeing how much of Twitter is actually just fake. It's bots, these like CNN and uh, New York Times and uh, all these like journo blue check marks are their bots, their bot followers are disappearing or just like evaporating. And we're see, we're going to see when it, when the big deal goes through, if all of the bots disappear, you're going to see how unpopulated Twitter really is. So this entire time, this, this whole political landscape that we thought was like um, this insurmountable, uh, you know, gatekeeping, this whole scape that we thought was the way that it was, we're going to very quickly see what it really is, which is a uh, hollow and fake. And I think that people, um, they might not have consciously knew that, but I think they, they felt it and they feel it not just in the political landscape, 
but uh, also in the cultural and art landscapes as well. People are tired of the corporate stuff. People are tired of the bland stuff. People are tired of the gate. They're, they're tired of it. They want something raw and rugged. People want to chimp out. They want to, they want to feel, they want imaginative, original things. They want some shit that has some heart. And um, I, I, I agree with Mike. I think that, you know, I actually, I actually think that it is going to come through with music. I think it's going to come through with, with literature. I think it's going to come through in poetry. We're seeing guys writing poems now. Um, up until very recently, everybody thought poetry was gay. And um, I, I push back on this. I think poetry is based. Uh, it depends on the content of the poem. But um, we're seeing this come to life. We're seeing our art forms come to life. And I think it's uh, very important that we take this seriously because uh, the bad guys out there, the vampires that run the whole big machine, they um, um, they they cherish their most powerful weapon and their most powerful weapon was their first target. And that is the arts. That is, that is literature. That is films. That is video games. That is music. That is all of it. That is, that was their first target and it remains their most powerful weapon and their most cherished weapon. So uh, we have, we have to do it, but I think that it's, that it's imperative that we do not allow it to be second fiddle to uh, activism or political things. The, the art movement needs to be based and self-propelled and its own thing. And I think if we can really put our energy behind that and should put our love and our heart and all of our talent into that, we can create something that shakes the world once again, like these awesome art movements that we're talking about right now. You know, the heavy metal movements, the punk movements, black metal, um, you know, the different literature movement, whatever. I think we could do that again. And I think that not only can we do it again, we can make the biggest one ever. Man, that is a fucking, that's a brilliant manifesto, man. Listen, I, I'm running out of time here. Uh, Dave, you got to come back and do a, a Biz Archive uh, dedicated episode because I agree with you 100%. And I think the only way forward, I, it took me a while to come around to this. It took me years to come around to this, actually. But I do think the only way forward is art, is creating art, writing literature, making music. And I think a big, big thing that we need is a resurgence of testosterone because uh, oh. of Dionysic testosterone, uh, because, you know, everyone, everyone traditionally associates that with the feminine. Even I do um, when I talk about it, uh, the Dionysian principle, like in, in art and literature and, and film and things like that. Uh, but actually, the Dionysian, uh, the chaotic uh, uh, outpouring of energy is is a uh, it's a testosterone fueled frenzy, absolutely, and that's exactly it's what, Odinic. What uh, I think I was just gonna say, this is exactly it. Like the the male Dionysiac energy is properly you could conceive it as Odinic. This is the wild hunt. This is the manor bund that um, sweeps across the landscape and raises it to the ground. It's the creative destruction. It's Shiva yeah. and yeah, it's, 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 it's the creator and the destroyer all rolled up into one. And this is the energy that's starting to come back. This is the great man striding over the horizon, ready to burn it all to the ground. And this is what you saw uh, resurge in the 20th century. And this is what, this is the greatest fear of liberalism is that the Odinic man will come back and it knows, it knows in some some way in its gut that 
it cannot forestall the they're, coming of this this man. They're terrified so, of it. Everything you they see are absolutely terrified of it. That you don't like. It's them trying to keep a lid on that. They're 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 like furiously trying to uh, <coughs> uh, uh, keep it from escaping out the gate. Um, listen, I'm sorry to cut it off here, but I'm running out of time. I want uh, uh, Mike. Um, you guys, you guys can have the closing the closing words here. Um, I hope we could do this again sometime though, because this is what's fucking awesome. Um, as I knew it was going to be. But Mike, I mentioned earlier that you're. Uh, you have a doom metal band or doom. I don't really know anything about it, but I heard it in the culture dads. Uh, would you like to, to say anything about that? Cause it was <laughs> fucking high quality. I literally asked you if it was Paul bearer because I thought like, it was like a, a, a doom metal band I had heard before and it was you. And it, it, it it's uh, I, I hope to hear more from it sometime soon. <laughs> this is funny. I didn't expect, uh, I didn't expect this to get out. I just, I just chucked it on there. It's, it's the closing music for all of the culture dads youtube episodes because well i didn't have anything else to put on there so i just thought i'd chuck this on basically what it is is it's it's a project where i you know when i first came to australia because i'm canadian um i came to australia and i'm like a fish out of water here i'm like a husky in the desert it's 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 i'm out of my element here so i just wrote this album within the first month of arriving here uh, because I came in January, which is like the height of the fucking summer. And it just roasted me. And I wanted to capture the feeling of just like sitting in the sun and just baking and subsuming in, into the cracked soil of the desert. And this was the best I could do. <laughs> so basically what I did was I sat down, I didn't have a job. I didn't know anybody. I just had my family here. So I just sat and I recorded an album just myself. It's, it's me doing everything, drums, bass, guitar, vocals, whatever else. And uh, it just turned into this sludge fest. This, well, some of, the, some of the tracks are actually very, very, a lot of blast beats and stuff. But the one that you heard is, is, is definitely on the electric wizard tip, which makes up the bulk of the record, which doesn't have a name. The project doesn't have a name. The band doesn't have a name. It's just this thing that I, I farted out one time um, it was ages good. ago. It was really so, good. Yeah. Uh, well, if you like it, if, if guys want to hear it, they can just go watch the Culture Dads episodes at the end. It's at the end. Um, anyway, yeah, there's not much more to say about it because it's not a real band. It's just me <laughs> doing everything. So it was just kind of it's funny that people have really responded to it. Um, who knows? Maybe at some stage it'll come out, and it, wouldn't it be insane if if a live show got played with that shit? But uh, yeah, that's 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 what you're referring to. Awesome. Well, listen, we're gonna release it on uh, vinyl. I got yeah. to, uh, I got to, I got to dip out here. So everybody, check out Culture Dads on YouTube. Check out the Biz Archives and Imperium Press. It's in, the U is a V on Twitter, and uh, this is the Astral Flight Simulation Podcast signing off.